Greetings! You're listening to Technically a Conversation, a podcast where we share an interesting topic or story with each other and hope you find it interesting as well. I'm one half of your host, Jose, and I'm joined, as always, by my lovely co-host, Isela. How are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you? Doing good also. Enjoying some freshly brewed coffee this Monday morning. Ooh, I love coffee, but I only do coffee on the weekends now, ever since I weaned myself off coffee. And I didn't wean myself. I wish I did. It was like a full-blown, I don't know if you remember when I did like the full-blown like cold turkey thing. I remember you talking about that. It was the worst. So yeah, don't stop drinking coffee. <laughs> All I <can> say. <laughs> it's the only thing that keeps me sane. <laughs> I hear you. Are you ready to get started? I am. I'm excited. What do you have in store for us? Well, let me ask you a question. Sure. Have you ever been kidnapped from the Walmart parking lot after being asked to smell perfume, only to find out later that it was ether? Oh my God, that sounds awful. No. Have you ever woken up in a bathtub filled with ice to discover that one of your kidneys was removed for sale on the black market? I've heard of that myth. I don't know if that's actually a true story, but I'm curious to know <laughs> if it is now if you've done the research. Well, did you ever get leptospirosis after drinking Diet Coke from a can that had been peed on by a rat? I did. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> no, I don't even know what leptospirosis is. Leptospirosis is a bacterial disease spread through the urine of infected animals. Without treatment, leptospirosis can lead to kidney and liver damage and even death. Oh. Antibiotics clear the infection, and some of the symptoms are high fever, headaches, bleeding, muscle pain, chills, red eyes, and vomiting. Oh my God, that sounds awful. That sounds like right up there with Ebola. I'm sorry <laughs> if I'm offending anybody who might have had Ebola. <laughs> It does, right? And the bleeding, it's like it doesn't specify where you're bleeding from. Like, do you just get sores or? Right. Yeah, I'm thinking, I don't know. Like, oh, my God, I'm I'm picturing, I'm, I've mentioned this before, I think. And hopefully I've also mentioned it on the podcast, but I'm a very visual person. So, like, if you say something that has, like, really powerful imagery, <laughs> oh, I am, <laughs> I am, you have put me in that scene. And that's, that one's not pretty. Well, I won't mention where I imagine the bleeding from then. Was <laughs> the butthole? I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I imagine it was being like having like a period out of your ass or something. I was gonna, I was gonna <laughs> say, okay, now men could understand our pain. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can imagine having a tampon up your ass would be very comfortable either. Oh my god! <laughs> it yeah, I I would imagine up your butthole would not be fun because that's not where we put it. But this, <laughs> this this does not sound comfortable like in the least. Although I've heard that some frat boys and or I don't know maybe people that go to frat parties and stuff that they would do that with like um they would dip it in vodka and then they would put the soaked the <laughs> the vodka soaked tampon up their <laughs> booty hole. It was really gross. I was like, how badly do you really want to get fucked up? Because this is, you could just drink it. How about that? Jesus. Well, I can tell you a little bit later if that's true or not. But I have a couple more questions for you. Okay. Now, did your stomach ever explode after eating Pop Rocks while drinking Coke? 
that's another fun myth. No, I don't know. I mean, no, I have never, I've never heard of a person doing that, but I always heard of that. That's how Mikey from the Life cereal commercials died. What? The Mikey likes it guy? Yeah. Oh my God, don't say that. Well, we'll put a pin on that one. Okay. <laughs> now, have you ever heard about any of these urban legends before? Um, or was there one that I mentioned that you had not heard before? I think the first one of the Walmart parking lot perfume smelling person. Some of these urban legends are pretty old before the advent of the internet. But you and I didn't go to the same school together. So how did we hear about it if they're urban legends? How did it spread before there was a Facebook or email for that matter? Hmm. I want to say it's, I mean, it has to be word of mouth. I mean, isn't that the same? Like, think about in the days of the Jesus, right? <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that word got around and there was definitely no Facebook. It was just, there wasn't even, like, copy machines <laughs> to get the word out. It was just like, hey, have you heard the good news or whatever they still use? Pretty sure they had MySpace, though, back when Jesus was around, so yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how it spread. Yeah, it was called the <laughs> Space of Jesus. <laughs> now, I originally got the idea for this podcast while listening to an episode of the Daily Zeitgeist. They were talking about a particular urban legend, and tell me if you heard this one before. In the 80s or 90s, there was a urban legend that was being spread that Richard Gere had to be rushed to the emergency room after getting a gerbil stuck up his ass. I did hear that. And this was in the height of his career in my head for me. So I like quickly dispelled it. I was like, ah, BS. Well, going back to this urban legend, there was also another variant that a lot of people heard. And in this version of the story, it was Rod Stewart who had to go to the emergency room now, the story, the version that I heard in elementary school was that it was Richard Gere. He was the protagonist of that story. The star of the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it might have been the gerbil. Maybe he was the, <laughs> the, the protagonist. <laughs> what was remarkable about this was that all three hosts that were on the show that day grew up in totally different regions of the country, but they had all heard the same urban legend. They were all kids when they heard it, and it was a time before the internet, before cell phones. Again, I heard it, you heard it. We grew up here in the main streets of El Paso. Yeah. So obviously, this urban legend is not true, but how did it spread so quickly? So that's what I wanted to kind of get to the bottom of, of how these urban legends spread so quickly in a time before the internet. This is a good one. So according to Heather Whips from lifescience.com, in an article titled, Urban Legends, How They Start and Why They Persist. She states that the most common way that they were spread was by word of mouth. Urban legends are an important part of popular culture, offering insight into our fears and the state of society. Michael J. Coven, a folklorist with the University of Wales, postulates that life is so much more interesting with monsters in it. It's the same with these legends. They're just good stories. I can see that. Now, the thing about urban legends is that they usually invoke the famous it happened to a friend of a friend clause. So finding the original source is virtually impossible. And this is further muddied by the fact that a lot of these stories have a slight regional or cultural variation to them, which makes verifying the story even more difficult. You know what it reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of the folklore of La Llorona. That was the first thing that popped in my head. I'm sure there's all kinds of stories like that. But La Llorona specifically 
We have a version here in El Paso. There's versions all over the U.S. We saw that movie that came out. There's even a version in Europe. There's a park in Las Cruces called the Llorona Park. In Las Cruces? In Las Cruces, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I've actually been to it, and it's really nice. Oh, so the opposite of La Llorona. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days we'll have to go. We'll yeah, take a day trip. I'm down. But it's really pretty because there's, like, there's a lake there, and um, the time I went, there were people fishing, which I don't even know if you're allowed to do that, but people were fishing. It's really nice. Okay, yeah, I'm totally down now. Now, going back to the regional and cultural variations in urban legends, an example that I have of this is the organ harvesting legend that we mentioned earlier. Now, I don't remember who I heard it from, but I want to say it was one of my cousins. And although I'm not 100% certain of the person that told me the story, I do remember being told that people were being drugged in Juarez bars and nightclubs and were waking up in random hotel bathtubs full of ice after having their kidneys harvested to sell on the black market. Now, I really didn't question it too much because living on the border, you're used to hearing about all the atrocities that happened there, like the women from the maquiladoras that would disappear, or everyone in a restaurant being murdered by cartel members. So something like this didn't sound like too much of a stretch. It wasn't until I watched the movie Urban Legend with the phenomenal Michael Rosenbaum. You were right about me all along, Mr. Kent. I am the villain of the story. And the wonderful Jared Leto. We live in a society where honor is a distant memory. Isn't that right? Batman. That I end up learning that it was a myth. Oh, crushing. <laughs> now, in order for an urban legend to be worth passing on, whether it's by word of mouth or the wretched hive of scum and villainy known as Facebook, they all share a few common attributes. They have to be a good story, offer a moral lesson, and be reflective of what's going on in society. According to writer Jan Harold Brunvenden, who wrote The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings, she states that we enjoy them merely as stories and tend to at least half believe them as possibly accurate reports. Michael J. Coven suggests that urban legends are also good indicators of what's going on in current society. By looking at what's implied in a story, we get an insight into the fears of a group in society. They need to make cultural sense, which is why some stick around for decades, while others fizzle out depending on their relevance to the modern social order. That's pretty interesting that they would kind of make an association with, oh, what's important to this group of people? Especially when you think of like the organ harvesting or like, so we're saying that our organs are very important. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're right. We know that. We've known that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, and yet we heard that story time and time again. We did. And apparently people in other places heard it also. I mean, it was famous enough to be mentioned on the movie Urban Legends. So it's not something that was just regional to us. But for us, we were able to internalize it and it made sense to us just because we're used to hearing about crazy shit that happens in Juarez. So, you know, it wasn't that much of a stretch for our imaginations to take us there. Oh, yeah, I would agree. You know, and you even start coming up with backstories with these people, <laughs> like e even without being told, you know, like I was imagining... Well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of very rich cartel members over there. 
So, you know, maybe they need kidneys and there's long waiting lists for people to get organs and maybe they don't want to wait, wait for that. So they hire somebody to drug you and they steal your organs right. to use as transplants for themselves. So yeah, you know, even your mind creates all these backstories that never even existed. But in my mind, I had already decided that was the reason that, that was happening. That's funny that you mentioned that particular type of a story because I also kind of conjured something up in my own head somewhere along those lines. And you're right. These things are not far-fetched from like what we've seen and heard already, like in real life. So, okay, taking out a kidney is not really like <laughs> the worst thing we've heard, sadly. But the thing that I had kind of conjured up in my own head was like, well, if they're sequestering people for money, like holding people for ransom and then waiting for them to be paid and then they give their loved one back, um, maybe it's missing a pinky or like whatever it is, then <laughs> this person is now in the hands of a functioning kidney and now they're going to sell it to make money, which is a really awful way to make money, obviously. But I was like, yeah, I mean, so is holding a person for ransom. So how is that any different? Right. So all this still doesn't really explain how they spread so quickly, especially in pre-internet times, or why they even spread at all. The best explanation that I could find was an article called, This is Why Some Urban Legends Go Viral, by Joe Stubbersfield, a Dunham University PhD candidate, on the website The Conversation. Not to be confused with technically a conversation. No, no, no. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> Not PhD holders. <laughs> no. But we also do have a website at technicallyaconversation.com. <laughs> Going back to future Dr. Stubberfield's article, he believes that the success of urban legends could be explained by two key biases in our cognition. And when we return from our break, I'll let you know what those two key biases are. So... While we're on our break, may I offer you a can of Diet Coke? It's only been slightly pissed on by rats. So gross. No, but I'll take, I'll take those Mentos. <laughs> After these messages, we'll be right back. Hunger pains got you down? Do you feel so hangry that you could tear your city apart looking for satisfaction? Don't let your hunger shapeshift you into a rage-induced tantrum. If you're in need of a quick snack to curb your hunger, reach for Choco's Cookie Snack. Each individually wrapped package comes with two cookies. Each cookie consists of a delightfully sweet sugary cream sandwiched between two scrumptious chocolate-flavored wafers. Perfect for sharing or carrying in your pocket or purse. Whether you're on the move or relaxing after a long day, you don't have to compromise flavor for convenience. For fans of our mouth-watering sugary cream, give our new Double Stuffed Chocos a try. Double the cream, double the taste, double the love. Find Choco Cookie Snacks at all Schultz Groceries, Kent General Stores, Ford Man Department Stores, or wherever fine snacks or confectionaries are sold. Choco Cookie Snacks, so delicious, they're out of this world. And now, back to the show. So how was your break, Isela? It would have been a little bit better if I would have been able to have some of those choco cookies. Or really any kind of cookies at this point. I'm not going to, you know, discriminate. I'm very UN <laughs> with my cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get any, any leptospirosis from the can of Diet Coke I gave you? 
Thank goodness, no. <laughs> but you got to get that stuff cleaned up. <laughs> no, I, I washed the top for you before I gave it to you. We have to do that now with like the Rona though. Like I feel like people touch packages and when I, when I bring them home still, I kind of do a wipe down. You know, I might be crazy. Yeah, no, I never really quite did that. Mm. Which is surprising. Well, I was always under the assumption that you had to breathe it in. So I said, well, I mean, as long as I don't touch my face after touching something, I should be okay until the next time I wash my hands. But I do, like, every time I bring my mail in or when I take all my groceries out, after I'm done with it, I do wash my hands immediately. Yeah, me too. Good call. That'll keep away from the leptospirosis too. (laughs) Right. Now, before our break, I was going to share with you what the future Dr. Stubbersfield believes are the two key biases in our cognition that guarantee the success of an urban legend. Are you ready? I am very curious. Okay, so the two key biases. Number one, we evolved to notice and remember information about our environment that is important for our survival. And number two, we evolved greater intelligence in order to keep track of social interactions and relationships. How did the future Dr. Stubbersfield come to this conclusion? he conducted two experiments. In the first experiment, participants were given urban legends that contained social information, survival information, or a combination of both. They were then asked to write down the stories from memory and give it to the next participant, and this was then passed down to the next participant like a game of telephone. In the second experiment, participants were presented with a list of headlines based on urban legends, and they were then asked which stories they preferred to read. After reading each story, they were asked which ones they would be more likely to pass on to the other person. And the study showed two things. First, people are more attracted to stories that contain survival threats and social relationships. These were the stories that people were more likely to pass on to another person. Second, urban legends that contained social information were more successfully remembered than those that involved survival information. And he gave some examples of this. So one example of a successful urban legend that he gave that contained social relationships was a story of two people who have cyber sex, only to realize months later when they meet that they are father and daughter. Oh my God, that is so twisted and like, oh my God, so gross. (laughs) Imagine how awful. That, no, I don't even want to imagine. That's awful. (laughs) Well, I think this kind of dates the study because now, you know, people have web cameras, so I think they would know right away. But I'm guessing this was back before web cameras were popular and people would do that type of stuff in chat rooms or on chat applications. Good point. Yeah. Thank goodness for those web cameras. <laughs> now you know who you're having sex with. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Another successful story that contained both social relationships and survival threats was the story of a woman who hears a baby crying outside her home in the middle of the night. When she calls the police, she's warned not to open her door because a serial killer is luring women this way. And the one that was not as successful, that only contained survival threats, was the story of a woman with a beehive hairstyle. She never washed her hair or brought it down. When she suddenly dropped dead, doctors discovered that a spider made a nest in her hair, bit her, and killed her. Oh my God, that's disgusting. <laughs> that's so gross. Oh, but I can see how that wasn't really about survival and the other one really grabs you. 
But I think it also pulls on this side of us where we want to protect other people. So when you see a helpless or hear even a helpless baby, I mean, even like an injured dog, I'm going to go like check it out, you know, or try to do what I can. So a baby, oh my God, how are you going to tell me not to go investigate? (laughs) That's, That's rough. Yeah. Yeah, so it wouldn't come as a surprise to know that that, that one with the, the baby that was crying outside the window was the one that was most successful and more likely to be spread. Of the three stories presented, the last one is certainly the least interesting. I would agree with that. I mean, it's a lady who, she did it to herself. She never took her hair down, lazy, gross, or whatever. Okay, well then, some people are probably thinking, I mean, some extreme people are probably thinking, well, then you deserve that spider too. <laughs> To grow a nest and, you know, <laughs> multiply in your hair, which is awful. Right. And it's the 90s. Nobody wears beehive hairstyles anymore. Right. Like, who are you, the B-52s lady or what the hell? <laughs> Although she, I think she did kind of wear that hairstyle in the 90s. So she, uh, she was the only one rocking that. I'm like, either you're Marge Simpson and that's okay, <laughs> or you're the B-52s ladies and we'll give them a pass because they were cool. He says that the results of his study support the theory that human memory and intelligence evolved to deal with the challenges of living in large social groups with complex relationships, rather than dealing with the challenges posed by our environment. As a result, we are attracted to both types of stories, but the ones that we tend to remember longer are the ones that contain social information, and those are the ones that we're more likely to pass on. So all that didn't really offer a very satisfying answer to the question of how urban legends spread before the internet, but it made sense why certain legends spread better than others and why we tend to remember some better than others. And I really try to find a definitive answer, but it looks like it really was just word of mouth. I would like to offer up one suggestion where, and of course, who am I? Fucking nobody, right? Okay, let's make that clear. <laughs> You're Isela. I, this is true. I am Isela. But, uh, you know, I'm no future Dr. Stubberson or, you know, Stubbersfield. Um, But my thought process is these stories are presented before you. And from what you know, they are presented as true stories. So those are already going to have a little bit more of an extra weight impact on you. So if you hear whichever craziest story... I mean, that, that's really what we want to share with people. And I think the idea behind any conversation is you want to connect with a person. You know, it's like, oh, my God, did you know X, Y, Z? Did you know, you know, whatever it is. And this is the same thing. You're like, oh, my God, did you know this, you know, person was found and, you know, whatever. And that's how. And then that person's like, oh, my God, that's wild. And then they go share with their people. And it's just like one giant game of telephone. Right. It was Michael J. Coven, the folklorist with the University of Wales, who said that life is much more interesting with monsters in it. It's the same thing with with the legends. So yeah, you definitely want to have something very interesting to share with people. And every time I see Michael J. Coven, like I think it's like the CVS Michael Gopin or something like (laughs) it looks weird just (laughs) reading it. (laughs) I thought you were going to go to Michael J. Fox. That's why when you went the other way, I was like, oh, who's this guy? (laughs) And then you said folklorist. (laughs) I was like, wait, okay, now I have a whole new set of questions. How do you become a folklorist? Like I have told so many stories. I'm partially a folklorist, like on the side. (laughs) 
Maybe a good start would be a liberal arts degree, and you can start from there. What? No. <laughs> no, I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be knocking that. I'm. I'm not going to knock it. Any degree is good. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's just me, and uh, I like to learn the things I like to learn. Right. I know. Sorry. So I came across another website during my research that offered a different suggestion, I guess, and they suggested that some urban legends became so popular that local news might have picked up on them and reported them as fact. And I never really watched the news as a kid, so I can't say I remember hearing any of these on the news. Though it wouldn't surprise me, as so-called news organizations such as Fox News and the New York Post have been disseminating false information for years. Fox News in particular has been on a very dangerous anti-vax campaign for the better part of this year. So it's hard not to talk about urban legends and not mention Snopes.com. Since 1994... They've been fact-checking urban legends and internet lore. Oh, that's cool. So for our fun facts, I'm going to name a few popular urban legends that I got from Snopes.com, and I'll have you tell me if you think they're true or false. Ooh. How does that grab you? I'm really excited. This is going to be like a fun game. <laughs> <laughs> I even have some sound effects prepared. What? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot of stuff wrong. I already know. So be ready with that like sad trombone. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see if I can pull off these sound effects without tripping over them. Okay. Number one. A vacationing couple staying in a foul-smelling motel room discovered a body hidden under their bed. Wait, can, am I allowed to ask questions? Was this body alive or dead? It was a dead body? True or false. A vacationing couple staying in a foul-smelling motel room discovered a body hidden under their bed. I'm going to assume that the body was dead, but it had to have been false. Like, bodies are smelly. Dead bodies are smelly. Don't ask. True or false? <laughs> false. <gasps> this is actually true. That is disgusting. Snopes lists several examples of this happening multiple years in multiple cities and multiple hotels. The original story dates back to a Las Vegas hotel in 1991, but that particular story lacked any checkable details. However, there are multiple examples of this happening in other places where they have been able to verify the facts. Oh my God. I am going to just Airbnb it from here on out. <laughs> Fuck that. That's disgusting. That's disgusting. Number two. A babysitter left alone in charge of sleeping children, receives several mysterious threatening phone calls. When the operator tracks the call, they find out the calls are coming from inside the house. That seems like the movie of Scream. Although I can't, I haven't seen that movie in such a long time. So I'm going to go, well, I'm going to go true. If the other one was true, that's throwing my radar off. Galashing. Mm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> false there are numerous variations of this legend and the movies when a stranger calls and black christmas are based on this story but there have been no documented cases of this happening the first accounts of this story originate to the early 1960s oh wow number three a wendy's customer found a human finger in her bowl of chili I heard about this. This was still when I was eating meat. 
and really enjoying the hell out of those chili bowls. So I kept eating chili bowls thinking, like, there's no way. How was, no, like, that That has to be no. True or false? Can you please make it false? <laughs> Is that your final answer? Oh, no. Oh, gross. Yes. It is indeed false. Let me tell you the backstory on this, though. Mm. On March 22nd, 2005, Ana Ayala was dining in a San Jose Wendy's when she discovered what appeared to be a human finger. Santa Clara County health officials confirmed it was a finger. On April 21st, 2005, it was discovered the finger belonged to an associate of her husband. The fingertip was severed in a work accident and given to another co-worker to settle a $50 debt. It eventually made its way to Ana Ayala, who put the finger in the chili in an attempt to defraud Wendy's. Oh, oh my gosh. That means someone truly lost the either the edge of the pinky or a portion of their digit. I don't believe it says which finger they lost, but yeah, they lost a, a portion of the finger, fingertip. Oh my gosh. And... This Ana Ayala lady put her in her chili in an attempt to defraud Wendy's. And I read more up on this story. And she actually had like a history of all sorts of fraud and a bunch of different schemes and everything that she would try to do to, oh, to no. defraud people. Oh, no. That's what she was born to do. But somebody has to go in on this, on this like awful scheme with her. And she really has to find someone dumb enough to be like, okay. <laughs> I'll let you cut off a piece of my finger. That is nutso. Well, if you already cut your finger off, what better way to pay off a $50 debt than by trading it for the $50? And that's another question. Who <laughs> is taking fingertips as currency? At least get it to cryptocurrency. Like, come on. <laughs> that's, that's already unconventional in my book. But fingertips? Holy heck. I take Dogecoin and fingertips to settle debts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's so crazy. Ready for the last one? I am ready. Number four. Real human skeletons were used in the making of the movie The Poltergeist. That seems very unsacred. I don't... I'm going to also go with false on this one. Is that your final answer? It is. Although, there was a lot of creepy shit that apparently happened, I think, on that set. So... Now I want to know what those things are, too. Okay. I, I still want to say false. <gasps> Grody! True. There was a lawsuit against Steven Spielberg by screenwriters Paul Clements and Bennett Michael Yellen. The lawsuit claimed that an employee of Amblin, that's Spielberg's production company, took portions of their script and submitted it to the Poltergeist production team as their own ideas. Special effects makeup artist Craig Reardon testified under oath that the skeletons used for a particular scene were real. They were biological, surgical skeletons used for hanging in classrooms, and they were acquired from India. Oh my goodness! These people are really sick in the head. I hope they realize that a fake skeleton with a little fake dust or however you make it look <laughs> aged and whatnot we're not going to tell the difference. I don't care if it's in 4K, 8K, whatever it is now. That's <laughs> crazy. People keep bones out of this. 
<laughs> Why do I need to make this clear? <laughs> they stated that supposedly back in the early 80s when they were doing this, there weren't any rubber or plastic skeletons or whatever that looked very convincing. Oh. So that was the reason that they decided to go with actual Bone. biological <laughs> surgical skeletons. And they even said that it was cheaper for them to go that route than to try and make them themselves. That is so crazy, <laughs> especially because there's like, that's not a new genre of movies. We've been making horror movies for or scary movies for a long time. Nosferatu, like that's black and white. You don't think like they didn't have to grow pointy ears or I don't know, whatever that weird shit stuff was. That's crazy. I'm pretty sure he did grow pointy ears for that. Yeah, him and Spock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Remember Mikey? From the Life commercials? Oh, man, please tell me that's not true. <laughs> yes. Mikey is indeed very much alive. Oh, good. He did not die after eating Pop Rocks and drinking soda. His name is John Gilchrist Jr. Mm -hmm. And as of 2020, according to his IMDb page, he was working on a TV show called Outer Banks as a best boy rigging grip. Oh. Which is just a fancy way of saying he works for a department in charge of the equipment used to lift or hold other equipment on a set. An example of this is a camera rig or a lighting rig. Oh, he was done with his, you know, time in the limelight. So that's probably good. He survived the, uh, the belly distending <laughs> myth that we heard. I would have imagined that at least at the very least gets you very uncomfortable and bloaty. You know, maybe it's possible. They do mention that that he was alive in the movie Urban Legend. You know, since it was a movie, I kind of wanted to do my own research, so I found his IMDb page, and I was like, okay, yeah, he's still very much alive. He looks almost exactly the same, except that he's like fifty years older or something. Oh wow! Yeah, I remember. I remember the commercial. So that's good to know that Mikey did not like it. In this case, <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. Maybe he did. <laughs> Mikey did not like death in this situation. <laughs> How weird. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker, right? <laughs> I know. That is news. Oh, man. Now, the other three legends that I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, they were all also fake. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Just in case you're wondering. That is good to know. Yeah, I'll sleep a little better. <laughs> <laughs> I go to Walmart at least every two weeks. That one I heard too. I don't remember who told me that, but... I do remember being told that, yeah, this is happening in, in Walmart, so be really careful. And I was like, well, we'll always like interact with the people there because they're always usually selling tamales or they're doing something out there. So Selling us a little, the little Mennonite cheese or whatever. Super good, by the way. I know. I feel like I'm taking a gamble with my life, which is kind of like my, I don't do drugs, but I feel like that's my version of doing drugs. Like, this is how I gamble with my life, yo. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? You're playing Russian roulette. That's right. One cheese bite at a time, son. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> so that's pretty much it. Wow. That was really cool. The only other one that I remember hearing a lot was, especially during the time of Halloween, how people were putting razor blades inside candy apples. I don't know if you remember stuff like that. And then I also remember, not specific to Halloween, but also when they would put needles at the handle of the gas pump and stuff like that. Do you remember those crazy things? 
The one about the needles with HIV and the gas pumps and where they would put the needles inside the um, the little coin thing on the payphones, those were all false. The candy one, though, that one originally started out false, but it inspired people to start doing that. There had been no recorded cases of people putting um, poison or needles or pins or razor blades or anything in any candy. It wasn't until after that urban legend spread that it inspired people to do that. That's awful. Oh, my God. People could be such dicks. They're like, hey, I never thought of that. Let's do that. Hey, let's just start watching the news from now on so we can get our freaking evil schemes. It's kind of like the copycats. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. That's really sad. (laughs) Wow. Well, since we're ending on a high note, we hope that you enjoyed the show and you join us again next week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GreetingsTAC. Email us at GreetingsTAC at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669 if you have a story to share with us. You know you do.